I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-Wyke, and this is Quantum Minds TV. Welcome to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. Now, today, I'm very honored to have Greg Braden joining me. Greg is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, scientist, and a pioneer in the emerging paradigm-bridging science, social policy, and human potential. Alchemy was first and foremost an inner transformational process that we then learned how to express in outward forms and take outward forms through the same universal transformational process as we were going through. But it's like if we hadn't been through that personally, through that transformation, we couldn't really manifest that outward transformation either. And this is where science really went astray was trying to separate Right. you know, ourselves from the world outside. It's separating our mind from the physical, separating the spirit from all of it. You know, it's just this separation. And, and you know, if we come back to, I mean, you said so many things I want to comment on. <laughs> but before, before we, I just want to say, you did such a beautiful job of illustrating everything you're saying right now in a, an amazing series you did with Gaia TV. And it was such a, a beautiful representation of these ideas, so clear and succinct and in modules, bite-sized modules. I want to thank you for that. And, and that has really influenced a lot of people that I know who are trying to wrap their minds around these concepts. You just did an awesome job. Thank oh, you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear that the mystery teachings is reaching people. You know, that season one was super physics oriented. And then season two got more into our soft technology of human potential. And, um, but, you know, because these are just areas that I'm very passionate about. And I want to help bridge that science and as spiritual. And yet I personally discovered that when, um, you know, when I really started diving into the more of the mystery teachings, uh, like hermetic teachings, alchemy teachings, Kabbalistic wisdom, you know, ancient, both Eastern and Western spiritual philosophy that was not about religion, but it was about, you know, the more the universal principles, I saw that these sages from the past had the wisdom and they even had some of the the metaphors and the story and the narrative yeah. that our modern day scientists are now finally discovering from a mathematical you know physical geometric kind of perspective but they had it, it, the same concepts and now science is just coming back around to what these ancient wisdom teachings said and um that you know when when it comes to uh our programming of our dna and when it comes to our ability to influence the quantum field you know yeah what what the quantum field has infinite potential infinite possibilities so what we expect to draw out of it you know is, is what we're informing it to give us but it's also um there needs to be a certain coherence you know because some people can work with affirmations for example and and try to uh program themselves from a from that place of the mind to believe in something and yet subconsciously they're in a cognitive dissonance around it they have their doubts around it and so forth so it feels like 
in order to truly influence a quantum field, we have to come to coherence in the mind, uh, at a feeling level, within the heart, within our gut, in the subconscious levels, everything coming into coherence. And then, you know, we're like laser-like ability to focus our attention and inform the quantum field of what to bring out. And this is why when we talk about healing ourselves, you know, people can say, yes, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. But if they don't believe it and they don't feel it and they don't bring themselves into that coherent state, it's not, you know, it's like you're you're lying to yourself. Um, but when you can access the coherent state, and this is where shifting into like out of negative thinking into positive thinking, turning off the the you know the news for a while that's trying to constantly bombard us with that fear-based thinking and into you know really the search within um and and shifting this is this is the the way to program our dna in a better you know better way so yeah go ahead well i i couldn't agree more you just covered a lot of ground as well <laughs> i i mean i think we could have a really long conversation about all of this but it, it goes beyond just the negative programming that we get day in and day out we we are the product of at least the third generation academically that has been taught that carbon-based life in general and human life specifically is flawed that we are flawed as a species and that among our flaws are, are the things the the attributes that we most cherish as a species so we're, we're taught that human emotion that clouds our logic for example is a flaw mm -hmm. or that the sentimentality that we give to our memories that give us attachment to, to different i that those, those are flaws or we're being taught that um that our bodies are weak and vulnerable and if you believe that as many young people do today because they've been given no other reason to think differently. If you believe that we are this flawed species, that makes us victims. And as victims, we need a savior. And what we're being taught is technology is our savior. And there is a very real movement to replace much of our biology with technology, to replace our biology with computer chips, with uh, artificial intelligence, with sensors. And the reason I'm saying this now, it's not like in the future. This is actually happening. Some societies are embracing it uh, quicker than others. And it's being touted as the next step in our evolution uh, in really slick, sexy marketing campaigns that even look good to me and I know what's going on. I mean, they really know how, how to, how to oh. do this. But here, here's the thing. Once we begin... And the science is very clear on this. There, there's an adage in biology called use it or lose it. And this is true in throughout the biological system. Once we begin to replace our natural biology with synthetic skin, synthetic organs, uh, uh, synthetic blood, uh, chips in the brain, sensors in the skin, our natural biology begins to believe that it's no longer needed and it begins to atrophy in one generation and the next generation that atrophy is passed on and the body says well maybe we don't need this anymore and this is how we lose our humanness mm -hmm. and we're on the verge the the crux of or the cusp of, of this technology in this generation we're either going to give our humanness away to the technology or we're going to look deeply and honestly at what it means to be human 
uh, and the extraordinary potential that is yet untapped mm -hmm. and embrace that in our lives. And we have to make that decision now. It, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the technology is, is on us right now. The DNA is a big part of this. When we begin replacing DNA with artificial components, there's a, a, a very, I need your permission. Can I go deep and philosophical here? Are you okay with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to use a word divinity. And I'm going to use it through its true definition, which simply means the ability, the, the definition of, of divinity is the ability to transcend the perceived limitations of human, uh, the human species. Mm -hmm. So it, nothing to do with religion or even spirituality, really. It's the ability to access the part of us that is greater than we have been led to believe. Those attributes have been given to gods in the past. That's why it's linked to religion. Yeah. So our divinity, there we are more than our conscious mind. We're more than our subconscious mind. There's something called the superconscious yeah. that is timeless, all-knowing, all-seeing. This is where our intuition comes from and our creativity. When we write music and we write books and we invent new things, this is where it comes from. We have access to our superconscious through the DNA, which functions as an antenna that tunes us to that field. Mm. When we replace our biology with artificial technology, we lose access to our divinity. Mm. And that is a, a very deep, it's profound, it's a big idea, uh, and, and it is happening uh, to one degree right now and if we follow the, the policies are being written and the laws are being created uh, to implement these to an even greater degree because people are asking for it because they don't know who they are. So this is the whole thing. I think we owe it to ourselves. I'm not saying a technology is bad. I'm, I'm a scientist. I love technology. But we owe it to ourselves to know what it means to be human and know the full extent of our humanness, and this includes the, the DNA that we're talking about, before we give ourselves away irreparably to the technology. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that once we do that, the technology becomes a tool that can serve us rather than something that enslaves us in a way that sounds like dystopian science. Yeah. You know, that, that's where that comes from. Yeah, it so sounds this is why like, the, the DNA is so important. It, absolutely. And and it sounds like we're, you know, we're really at this critical junction point where we can either continue to use technologies just driven from a purely material and, and you know, kind of physical and whatnot, old paradigm way of using them. And we'll actually reverse, <laughs> we'll kind of do a reverse evolution uh, is, is what it sounds like. Use it or lose it. We're going to lose a lot of what we've, you know, gained, so to speak. Or we go into the actual alchemical process of transforming ourselves and making that leap right. uh, towards really receiving the fullness of our potential. And, you know, Hermes, uh, the Hermetica actually talks about that humans were created or, or maybe um, ordained to become greater than the gods, you know, greater than those who we would, you know, consider superhuman. Uh, we have the ability within us to become even greater. And, and it is coming from a, a, a divinity level, but then it is also written into the DNA. Um, that there's so much potential and you've, you've addressed this in multiple ways. Um, you know, one of which 
for example, you, you talk about in the God Code and you talk about the signature, the divine with actually within our DNA, if you look at it from the uh, from the masses and, and the different atoms that are, you know, forming the DNA, maybe if you want to expand on that, that would be one thing. And then also uh, chromosome number two, I would love to dive into that, uh, that shows there is an intentional design, you know, that, that we have in our DNA. Yeah, well, this is, you know, I was doing an interview not long ago. <clears throat> uh, every once in a while, I'm, I'm sure you may have had one of these. We get what's called a hostile interview. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> and it's not always apparent. So this was a 6 a.m. interview. Uh, I just flown uh, across, I'd flown from Europe back to the U.S., got up early to do this interview. It was commuter traffic in New York City is a, a, a commuter interview. And um, the interviewer, uh, he wasn't kind as a male, wasn't kind at all. Didn't say good morning, welcome to the show, anything like that. First thing he said when he came on, he goes, I don't buy it. And I said, pardon me? And he goes, I, I don't buy it. And I said, I'm not selling it. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was really hung up on evolution, human evolution. Mm. And he was upset with me. He goes, he goes, you're just a geologist. What gives you the right to even talk about human evolution? And I said, do you know what the profession was of the man that formulated the theory of evolution? Darwin was was a geologist, mm -hmm. and he said, "Okay, let's go to the station break," and he never came back. And that was the end of my <laughs> that was the end of my interview. But the the point is, uh, I am not anti-Darwin, and I'm not anti-evolution. As a geologist, I've seen it in the fossil record for plants, animals, insects, other forms of life. It breaks down. The theory breaks down when it comes to humans. The evidence doesn't support Darwin's theory of evolution for us. And reverse engineering the DNA is one of the places where this is showing up. So when we look at our genome, what we find in, in human chromosome 2, you mentioned that, so I'll go there first. Uh, we know where human chromosome 2 came from. Scientists have acknowledged it. The Proceedings National Academy of Sciences have told us it cannot be the product of natural evolution. And that's a quote right out of their, uh, out, out of their <clears throat> proceedings. Chromosome number two is respond about 1,200 genes. And, and one of those genes, gene TBR1, is responsible for our brain 50% larger than the nearest primate that showed up all of a sudden. It's responsible for our ability to self-regulate our biology. It's responsible for our, our humanness, empathy, sympathy, compassion, uh, all, all from just TBR1. And that's only one wow. of, of the genes. There are, you know, over a thousand other genes. So you say, this is important. Where did it come from? And what the science shows is that our chromosome 2 makes 8% of our genome. It's the second largest chromosome in, in uh, the human body. <clears throat> it is the product of an ancient fusion of pre-existing chromosomes. They were fused together in a way that can't happen in nature. Uh, and and if, as if the fusion wasn't enough, after the fusion happened, there were genes that were added and taken away to stabilize that fusion. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen slowly, gradually over a long period of time. The date now is 200,000 years ago, and that happens to be when we appeared. Anatomically modern humans appeared 200,000 years ago when chromosome 2 uh, was fused. 
And if that were the only chromosome, you'd say, well, maybe that was a fluke, but it's not. Chromosome 7 also was modified. At the same time, the two little genes were switched that had been stable for 175 million years in all mammals, including primates. And it's the gene that connects our mouth and our jaw to the part of our brain that gives us complex speech and allows us to sing. Oh, wow. You'll never, you'll never hear a, a chimpanzee that shares 98% of our DNA, you'll never hear that chimpanzee sing Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> and, and, and the, but 98% of the DNA is there, so why not? It's because they did not undergo that. Only Homo sapiens underwent this shift, and it happened exactly when chromosome 2 was, was being fused Scientists know this is not the product of, of natural evolution, and it wasn't until 2012, Teresa, that we had an insight with the development of something called CRISPR gene editing. And the scientists said, my God, we look like the product, our chromosome 2 looks like the product of a CRISPR editing. The question is, who had CRISPR editing 200,000 years ago? And that's, that's a whole different story. Right. But the, the point is that we were given something mm. precious and extraordinary in the terms of a potential 200,000 years ago. And my feeling is that we owe it to ourselves to understand and embrace what that potential is before we lose it to technology forever. Mm. And then, then once we know what it is, if we want to give it away, that's, that's our choice. But we stand the potential to lose something that we haven't even understood yet and once it's gone it's gone forever mm. wow so so basically there's evidence that two hundred thousand years ago we were genetically engineered uh or I, 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 want, I want to clarify this as a yeah. scientist all i can say as a scientist i can't say who or why i can say it appears there was some kind of an intelligent intervention mm -hmm. and, and i think an honest scientist has to say there was some kind of an intervention, but we, we don't. Now, intuitively, we have feelings, and culturally, every indigenous tradition tells us what happened. Mm -hmm. Not one indigenous tradition that I know says we evolved slowly, gradually, over a long period of time. Every one of them say we're part of a greater community, mm -hmm. a greater cosmic community, still learning to live up to our potential. Yeah, it's not science. That's just cultural so scientifically, I have to say the evidence supports some kind of intervention. So I just, I wanted to say that as we go over this. Well, so many indigenous tribes, you know, whether it's the Aborigines or the Dogon or the Native Americans, they're often looking to, you know, pointing to the stars as where their ancestors are or came from. Um, and, and so, and then there's, you know, there's also conspiracy theories out there that are saying, oh, we were genetically engineered, you know, by whatever, Anunnaki or something, and yet they have the, the victim mentality still that we were engineered to be a slave race. But what you're saying sounds like we were engineered with given greater potential, greater gifts to be more than anything else on this planet, not just so that we could be slaves, but so that we can awaken to a divine potential. Uh, I, I believe that's true. I, I was I had the honor of touring with Zachariah Sitchin back in the nineties before before he left this world. He did the uh, he's the one that translated the Sumerian text, the the Earth Chronicles. Uh, he's a brilliant scholar. Um, we did not agree on the interpretation of of the text. He put forth the theory that we were engineered 
for the purpose of being a slave race on earth. Uh, I think it's very possible that we have been enslaved in the past. Uh, I don't think that's the reason that we exist, and this is where we, we differed. And the fact that there is uh, intelligent information encoded into the genome, I think, supports uh, the what I believe is the fact that, that we are more than a slave race. I can see where we could have been enslaved, and I, we have uh, in different ways in the past, but I don't think it's the reason, and the evidence to me, uh, the evidence doesn't support that that's the reason that we're here. You could also draw from various ancient teachings from various traditions around how we were originally in some divine state, for example. We were greater than, we were closer to the gods, whatever whatever way they want to talk about it. And then somehow we we were from that original state, we fell out of that into a, a state where we were, you know, having to figure out how to survive and and less, you know, less capable and less connected. And, and then yet there's also the these uh, prophecies that show that what we're moving towards in the future is reclaiming that fullness of that potential that w is within us, reawakening those codes within our DNA uh, and and our divine, you know, blueprints, whatever they may be, to help you know reignite that. Versus what you've been you know sharing here, just going the technological place of of trying to become like cyborgs <laughs> the, the the ability is all within us we just have to awaken that yes <clears throat> well these excuse me these, these are huge ideas and uh, and i'm going to throw one more i'm just going to toss one more in here right. because the science is now supporting uh you know when i was a kid back in school back in 1950s 60s and early 70s i grew up in rural missouri and in, in the, the midwest of the united states uh there was this perspective of us coming from a primitive state or slowly, gradually, you know, becoming who we are today. There's a, a new, relatively new theory that is gaining a lot of momentum right now, suggesting very strongly, and, I, and the evidence supports this, that we, in fact, are living in a, a simulation, a simulated reality or virtual reality. Uh, there was an experiment, the first scientific experiment was done in, in 2001 exploring a, a complex algorithm was built plugging in all the variables of everyday life and uh and the odds are over 90 97 percent plus that we are not in what is called a base reality uh and this has tremendous implications for for consciousness and and all those things but tying back in and heaven where is heaven it's you know outside of our simulation uh so when you talk about us descending from uh, a, a more pristine state or, or a Garden of Eden state, if we are in a simulation, and, and I believe the evidence suggests that we are in at least one level, one, there are multiple levels of a simulation, at least one, typically the purpose of a simulation is to solve a problem, to explore ways to solve a problem. And I think it's very possible that we are in this reality uh, trying to solve a problem that is in our base reality somewhere and that we descended into, we began in this simulation uh, and whether that problem is, I mean, you look at, at the fundamental themes of what we face in the world today, then there are general themes, good and evil, 
for example, is a fundamental theme. Environmental crisis, climate, is a, is a fundamental theme. Maybe maybe we live on a planet that's about uh, with a star that's that's going to go supernova, and we're looking for new ways to live, or where the the climate has collapsed, and we're looking for new ways to to experience that. It's funny, almost universally, when you talk to people, they feel that. Uh, that they're from somewhere else, and that we're we're here temporarily. Uh, the religious traditions tell us this. The Hindu traditions tell us we're in the Maya, the illusion. Uh, and when we wake up, we will take what we learn here and apply it in the new world. And almost every other tradition tells us the same thing. So, so the idea of us being imbued with these extraordinary potentials, maybe this is what the simulation is all about. Uh, because the the fundamental theme in in all of the whether it's light and dark, good and evil, war and peace, environment, whatever it is, it all comes down to love, and about our ability to embrace the many facets of love in our lives and to use love as the the fundamental value from which we build our world and implement our technology. So the technology is never good, bad, right, or wrong. It's how it's applied. And splitting of the atom is a perfect example. It happened during wartime, and it was used for as a weapon, but it didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. so, so it's possible we're in a simulation right now, and we're, we're learning about the depth of our capacity to love. And what, what I've learned from the indigenous people, Teresa, is the deeper the suffering, of an individual, and I got to, I, everybody is suffering to some degree. We all have had loss of loved ones, or if not loved ones, a, a way of life. We have all lost something. Mm -hmm. And in that loss, what it does is it forces us to go deep within ourselves to find a deeper capacity of love to transcend the hurt that we face. And maybe we're learning in this simulated reality about the capacity of our love because the world we go to next, we're gonna need that love and we're gonna need it in ways that we're only discovering right now. Human DNA and human biology allows an expression of that love greater than we can ever get from a computer chip in the brain or AI. And I'll just say the real, then I'll stop. The reason is because all of that technology, it's fast, it's efficient, hands down, no doubt. I'm not arguing with that at all. But the computer chip and the AI, they are limited by the physics of the material they're made of. They're not scalable. They, will, they reach a top end of how fast they can process or how much memory they can store. Here's the beauty. The human technology of neurons and cells we don't know the top end because we are scalable. We don't know how much our memory can hold. We don't know. Our brain state has gone from, we used to think the high end was 40, 40 hertz, 40 cycles per second. And then we discovered through the Tibetans that it could go to 80 cycles per second, and then 100 cycles per second, and they had to make a new brain state called hypergamma. And now, or the gamma brain state, now they've doubled that to 200 cycles per second, hypergamma. We don't know the top end. We don't know the limit of our scalability. Mm. And 
And that means we are yet, we, we've yet to understand the limits of our love. So that would definitely uh, show also that the greatest technology is within us, uh, whether it's within our brain, whether it's within our DNA, whether, you know, our, our nervous system, how this whole body works is, is a pretty phenomenal uh, thing. And, and that's just talking about the body. Then there's, you know, soul and spirit mind you know there's higher levels of consciousness however you want to define that and and you know i'm not sure personally like if i believe we're in a simulation but if i were to uh relate that to to something like so i as a scientist we're going to run a simulation i wouldn't just run one at a time i would run multiple exactly <laughs> multiple at exactly. a time and and we're we're running out all possibilities all scenarios trying to figure out what's going to work and so you know some people when they hear oh this is a simulation or this is just an illusion they think well then it doesn't matter but it does matter it does and matter decisions we make you know the the results we create here whether we succeed or or don't succeed you know all of it matters because it's all informing whatever higher level of us is overseeing what's going on here and uh you know so so from a metaphysical perspective i might look at that from the place of we are multi-dimensional beings having a much higher true self-reality that is overseeing you know a lot of different possibilities and scenarios that are happening at these deeper density levels well yeah, uh, i think that that's what the parallel universe is all i agree with you 100 percent. you wouldn't run just one simulation you would run right. many and i i think that's you know, the I, I think what really was the mind blower for me was understanding that there's really not much of us here. The mm -hmm. 99 point, was it 16 digits out, 9999 of us is, is empty space. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, what John Wheeler was saying, and the physics shows that our reality behaves very, very much the way that a digital reality in uh, a computer game mm -hmm. behaves. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the the cultural traditions, all of them say that we're not from here, that we we've come here to learn something. It's temporary. It's the illusion. It's the dream. It's the Maya, and that we're going to go somewhere else. So the question to me: If this is all we've ever known, Teresa, how would we know if we're in a base reality or if we're in a simulation? Uh, and I don't know the answer. How would you ever know if this is all that you know? <laughs> And until but, you break out of it, until you break out of it, then exactly. you see another reality. I guess the question is, is, is when you define what you know, are you basing it only on your external perception of, you know, the physical reality and this physical life, or are you recognizing that the who am I is, is, is a much greater being that expand, that extends far beyond just this physical dimension and just this one physical life? Yeah. Then, have we had many other experiences and and gained other knowledge and this is why the ancient you know wisdom teachings always said know thyself right that, that the most important pursuit is for us to know ourselves both knowing our potential knowing that we're beyond this physical body and you know the greatness of, of what's within us but so long as we're caught up in just the the drama of the physical world today we we, we get distracted from really yeah, I, ourselves. I, I agree 100%. You know, I, I, I don't know that I 100% buy that we're in the simulation, but when I look at the parallels 
uh, in a simulation, there are always rules and our lives mirror those. So in a simulation, for example, there's always a beginning and an end. And we know that our world has a beginning and we will have some, our lives have a beginning and an end. And a simulation, uh, everything is cyclic. It runs on cycles and cycles are what's driving our physical reality. It's driving, uh, you know, life, uh, everything in our reality. In a simulation, you always have the opportunity to communicate outside of the simulation if you get into trouble. If you're in a flight simulator and something happens, you pick up the phone and you say, you know, what's this flashing red light? And we have always been told that there's a part of us that we have help outside of this dream. And whether you call it a higher self or you call it angelic guidance or you call it masters of higher dimensions, we've, we've always had that. Mm -hmm. And in a simulation, there are rules that you learn. And if you follow those rules, the simulation gets much easier. And life, I think, is very similar to that. So there, there are definitely parallels mm -hmm. in the ancient descriptions of our reality and, and what science is. A simulation is, I, I like the idea of, I'll tell you what I'm really drawn to in the simulation is it means that when we die and we go to heaven, where is heaven? Heaven is the world where we exist outside of the simulation. That's our base reality. It's, it's our true home. And if that's true, it means all the horrible things we've done to one another on this planet. Uh, in this reality, when we go back on the other side, we still exist. And we still, hopefully, are friends with one another. And, and uh, you know, I mean, maybe we look and say, hey, remember that battle uh, <laughs> where, where I took that sword, you know, on the, on the plains of Rome? And, yeah, I'm really sorry I hurt you like that. But, you know, it's and, and maybe death is just uh, us timing out. It's our, our soft technology timing out. It's given us a new vocabulary within 21st century science to attempt to understand a mystery that's been with us since the beginning. Join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this really fascinating conversation with Greg Braden on the next episode. This conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke in collaboration with Greg Braden and edited by Verse Content and HH Films and Photo. The theme music was created by Tim Mountain of Even Load Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy.